Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Um, I don't agree with going to restaurants where you have to cook your own food. That's the whole point. Okay. I don't see the point. Like places that where they have you ever heard this where they give you a hot stone and you cook like a steak on it. Right. Is that what they do with Korean barbecue? Well, so yeah, no, you have a proper barbecue okay. on the table. Is yeah. that what it is? It's, it's, a, it's a gas grill which is built into the table. Mm. And uh, then they put a stove on top of it and you can cook whatever you get. So that picture I sent you yesterday, you, mm. got, you got two platters. One was one was steak marinated in... Two um, pictures plus one, the one, sort, one sort of marinade and then there was, there was a fish platter and it was really, really good. Cooking but, your own fish? Yeah, but it's, it was That's fun. Risky, isn't it? I mean, it why, why else risky. would you go to a restaurant like that? You know you have to cook yourself. So if you don't like it, you're not going to go. My girlfriend loves going to these type of places. I don't. <laughs> you mean your wife? My wife. Your wife. <laughs> <laughs> and that is going on the podcast. <laughs> Quick All divorce right. there for you. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> so we'll do. <laughs> okay, here to talk football is me, Ian McCourt, along with Deutsche Welle's finest football brains, Ollie Moody. Hello. And Nick McKenna Klein. Good morning. Uh, before we get cracking on the football talk, let's have some usual iTunes talk. Wherever you are in the world, please go to your local iTunes store. Please give us a rating and please leave a comment to let us know what you think of the podcast. It would, as ever, be most appreciated. So this weekend is Cup Final Weekend across Europe. And here in Berlin, we're welcoming the fans of Frankfurt and Dortmund to the city. Of course, we'll be happy about that one. But one man who might not be so happy is Thomas Tuckle, who is about to lose his job. Is he not, lads? I mean, nothing's been confirmed yet. But there's, I mean, okay. the situation in Dortmund's been tough. Don't dampen it down. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to put well, some jazz into the podcast here. It, it could really be by, by, let's say, eleven o'clock at night on Saturday, he's out of a job. But the, re- the reason why is because since January, there's, there's been a strange relationship at, at, at Dortmund. Uh, it started off in January when, when was it the, the chief ca- scout was thrown off the off the club's training ground, and, and Tuchel said he doesn't want him anywhere near him when he's on the on 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 the ground. Why was that? Tuchel's a micromanager. That's that's the big problem. He doesn't he doesn't like to hand over any sort of responsibility to anybody else. And since they got into this bit of a fight, he hasn't spoken to the chief scout. As I said, doesn't allow, allow him anywhere near the ground. And that was the first problem. What nowhere near the ground? No, he's not allowed on the ground when Tuchel's when Tuchel's around at the club, which is kind of weird. I mean, we spoke about Alexander Isak back in January when he was signed by Dortmund, right? I mean, this player's not played in the league, I think, at all. No, he played, he's played in the cup. He played, no, he's played. In the, he played. Came on as a sub during the last cup round. I think it was semi-final. But this is a player who was bought by the club without Tuchel's consent and without Tuchel actually knowing what was going on. And as I said, I mean, he's the man's a micromanager. So if that kind of stuff happens, he wasn't particularly happy. So it got worse in, in April when, when the bus, after the bus attack again, ahead of the Champions League game. Tuchel didn't want to play that game. Um, he also said that it was probably best for the players not to play that game. But Vatska this, denies this claim. I mean, Vatska, it's, it's really strange that they're taking two sides. And Vatska said he also tried to stop the game, but... I mean, what would you say about it? I mean, this is yeah, the way it, the way it seemed, it's a really sort of weird situation. You've got to kind of read between a lot of lines to try and work out what happened. Um, Tuchel and a lot of the players straight after the game were pretty um, damning in their in their post match comments, in their statements, um, either directly saying we shouldn't have had to play this game, or in saying you know I, I was barely there out on the pitch and that kind of thing. Um, Tuchel since then has made several kind of thinly veiled attacks on um, the club's hierarchy and on UEFA kind of indirectly as well. That's never going to go down well. No, exactly. He, as Nick said, seems to feel like the 
Um, the bosses, Aki Vatska in particular, didn't support him um, when he said that he didn't want to play the game. They say that they did speak to Tuchel. UEFA also say that they spoke to the club before um, stating definitely that the game would go ahead. It sounds kind of like, and this is just reading between the lines, as I say, and supposing, um, it sounds kind of like UEFA gave Vatska and Mikel de Tork, um the choice of either you play the game or you forfeit it and you're out of the competition. And if they'd forfeited it, they would, would have been out on millions of viewers. That exactly. Was, that was the next thing. And then... Exactly. And um, so if that was then the ultimatum that got passed on to Tuchel as well, if he got told, okay, it's your decision, you can either forfeit the game or play it. That is a horrible choice to be given for Tuchel. You know, a guy who was working with the players every day and working with uh, Mark Bartra every day as well. Of, of course, he was never going to throw that game. He was never going to forfeit it. But I think he felt like he was forced into this impossible position where he had to tell his players to go out and play when it was the last thing in the world that he wanted or the second last after forfeiting the game. Um, and since then, there have been a lot of tetchy press conferences, a lot of times where Tuchel um, seems to be trying to say something uh, without saying it directly. He's very Arsene Wenger in certain ways, Thomas Tuchel, because this is something that Wenger's been doing a lot this week. Um, we'll talk about that later with the cup final. Um, but also in, in the way, as Nick said, that he likes to be, he likes to have a hand in everything. He likes to micromanage a lot of things. Um, but anyway, the, the long and the short of it is that it looks like the relationship has broken down now between Tuchel and the club's hierarchy yeah. to the point where there's no way he'll be there next season in my eyes. One thing which really pissed off Tuchel as well was that the, the news came via text message. The fact they had to play the game. That's, I mean, there was, he's, mm -hmm. he's made it quite clear that there was there seems to be no actual face-to-face -face conversation between management and the coach and the players. One of the problems with our culture these days is that you can just bypass <laughs> any sort of awkward situation via the medium of text. I mean, a group text, WhatsApp message. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> and it's deemed it's deemed an okay thing to do. It's acceptable. Yeah, I, th but, I yeah. think a few of the players did say they got it on WhatsApp even, yeah. which is kind of, that's got to be a... But you can't do that 24 hours after a... You know, after your bus, after your play, your plays have been attacked. No, of course not. And it's a horrible way to be <laughs> informed of something like that. You know, I mean, that was a, an attempt on their lives, basically. Yeah. You've got to remember, and it's very fortunate that only Mark Bartra was injured, um, and that he was only injured. Nothing more serious happened, and and the way that Dortmund and UEFA went about it, I think, is terrible. And also, um, I was talking to Matt Herman about this, uh, who was on the podcast last week, another DW guy, and he was saying that um, actually the the DFB the German Football Association should have said, OK, we'll delay the cup semi-final next week. Because I think the problem with delaying the Champions League game, postponing the Champions League game, would have been that there was then a, a cup semi that that would have infringed upon. And they should have, like he says, they should have jumped in and said, let's delay the cup semi and then push the Champions League semi uh, final back as well. And that would have solved that issue to an extent. So there, there are so many kind of people involved with this. There are so many people that you could sort of point a finger at. It's, it's very difficult, but... Uh, as we say, Tuchel and, and Tork and Vatska, it now looks like uh, there's there's no going further with that. So two questions arise from this then. Where next for Tuchel and who next for Dortmund? <laughs> there's rumours he might be going to Arsenal, uh, mm -hmm. which I've heard. Uh, I don't see that. Neither do I. At least I think Wenger's going, let Wenger. alone <laughs> anyone else coming in. Wenger's, Wenger's staying. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Wenger will stay for another year at and least. Can you imagine maybe Wenger actually becoming a sporting director role and then maybe bringing Tuchel in as like a... Well, I he think personally he'd be too hates involved. sporting directors as well. Yeah, though, I know. But I think he saying. would be... It'd be like Ferguson becoming a sporting director over, say, David Moyes. 
I, you just couldn't have, you, the, the relationship would be too no, complicated, true. I think. Especially having to let go. Um, having to let go of the... So where do we think next for Tuckle? Will he take time off? Will he, will he go abroad? Uh, I think abroad is probably um, the best option um, because all this stuff about him being a micromanager, Bayern will have been watching this and saying, nope, not for us. Because they've got Nagels, man, it, anyway. Well, most likely, yeah. Um, but the likes of Hernis and so on, Rummenigge, um, they like to have a big hand in everything that's going on. And they will not want a coach who gets upset every time they, you know, they make it, they, they make some kind of change without his consent. Um, so, you, you know, you think from Dortmund, where else do you go within the Bundesliga, if not Bayern? And you'd say maybe Leipzig if Hasenhüttl for some reason isn't there in the next couple of years but other than that you'd have to look abroad and probably to the Premier League as well I think um, there are quite a few clubs near the top of the Premier League maybe if Pochettino Crystal uh, goes somewhere else Crystal Palace <laughs> yeah could uh, build on Big Sam's good work there yeah. uh, but no I think if, if Pochettino leaves Tottenham uh, anytime soon which is a possibility um, then Tuchel would be a very good fit there I think he could again like build on the work that Pochettino so who's going to take over at Dortmund, Nick? Rumours are going around that Lucien Favre might come back to the Bundesliga after finishing third with Nice. I don't see it happening. I'd love to see that. Yeah, but it, he doesn't fit to the club somehow. I mean, that's that's one of the big problems with, which, which with the Tuchel. Club, with Tuchel. Mm-hmm. He's not the club. He's, well, first mm-hmm. of all, he's not Klopp. That's the biggest mm-hmm. problem. That's the problem which the club have had with him and a lot of fans have had with him. And it's interesting, actually, working at DW, there's loads and loads of Dortmund fans and, you know, opinions are split. You've got some who hate Tuchel and some who don't mind him at all. And I think it's, it's, you find that <clears throat> throughout the whole club and the whole fan base, finding the right coach for Dortmund now has become especially difficult since Klopp was there because Klopp was, was Dortmund. And, uh, mm-hmm. and their image is built. We talked about this before. Exactly. Their, their and image it, is built in Klopp. Basically. Exactly. And they're not going to yeah. find anybody like that. It's going to be difficult to find somebody within the Bundesliga, I think. Um I mean, let's see who's out of a job. Martin Sam Schmidt. Allard- Sam Allardyce is free. Oh, yeah, because he's going to fit fantastically well at Dortmund. <laughs> David, Mo- <laughs> David Moyes is also free. Uh, David, David Moyes needs to, to, to find his mojo again. We should do a separate podcast on the fall of David Moyes. <laughs> <laughs> you need more than a podcast for that. It's a full-length documentary. <laughs> summer documentary. Um, yeah, I'd love to see Favre at Dortmund, actually, now that you mentioned it, because I, I was a big fan of him uh, during his time in the Bundesliga, especially at Gladbach. And um, I think he's got a very exciting playing style. I think he um, brings players that you don't expect up to a new level. Um, and he's just got a really sort of endearing French accent, or Swiss French accent. But Favre doesn't, he's, he's always good for a season or two. When he came mm. in at Gladbach, he saved them from relegation, brought, got them out to fourth, and then it all went down, it all went pear shaped again. And so, so he did exactly the same thing I had at Berlin, here, right here in Berlin. Mm. When he came yeah. to Berlin, saved them for relegation, took them into the Champions League. Next season, they were close to relegation, out he was. That's and all you need managers for these days. They're disposable, a disposable commodity. Two years, boom, done. But get, I could, get the new one in. When it comes to Dortmund, maybe they might bring another foreigner in. I mean, they've done it before. I think they might look away from the Bundesliga now. As in, so you're confirming then that David Moyes is in the running for this job? No, that's Allardyce. Allardyce in. I could, it could be a surprise. <laughs> That's one thing which I will say about Dortmund is that they they will they could surprise us and bring someone who we don't expect just to fit it, who fits in at the club and is happy with the club structure and, and happy to work with the way the club is okay. set up. But you're not sure who that might be. I wouldn't put a bet on it. No. I mean, it's, I don't I don't think it's Favre. 
Why would you want to? Why would Favre want to leave Nice after finishing third and qualifying for the Champions League? Lovely south coast of France. Yeah, glorious. For West Industrial Germany. (laughs) (laughs) Hard choice that one. Anyway, getting back to the game, Nick, you are actually going to the stadium tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, What are you most excited about? I'm actually looking forward to a good game. It's uh, the first time. Well, now, I, my next question is going to be: Is this even going to be a contest? Probably not. I mean, my, oh, okay. my, my money's on Dortmund. My okay. money's on Dortmund. But, I mean, well, anyway, get back. To what are you most oh, excited about? Oli, Oli and I were talking about this yesterday because uh, we, we were planning for the pod, for the pod. And uh, was this before or after the Moscow Mules? This is before pre Moscow. Before okay. <laughs> Probably the best idea to do it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first, it's, you know, Bayern aren't in the final, which makes this final interesting in itself. Infinitely more interesting than otherwise yeah. would have been. Because it would have been quite, because I mean, last year's final was Dortmund versus Bayern. That went all the way to penalties. And it was it was a boring final to watch. That was a boring final. Whereas this year you got two, I mean, the key word which Oli said yesterday was tradition final, so clubs with history. I, it's it's not quite as glamorous. I don't think it's quite as glamorous as it has been in previous years. Because if you say it's a final between Dortmund and Bayern, that just sounds like you're like, wow. It's two of the best teams in the Bundesliga. But here you've got one side who, I mean, Frankfurt were fantastic in the first half of the season. They've been pretty poor since January. Worst team in the league in since the, January. In the yeah. I mean, this team has scored only five goals in the cup this season. So, I mean, I don't know. they've I don't, managed to make it to the final. Yeah. Fantastic. They're, the first, I think they're one of the first teams to make it to the final uh, on th- three games went to penalty shootouts. No, no other team's done that before. I mean, if you're going to score five goals in, what is it, five rounds or six rounds on the way to the final, you don't have much of a chance in the final. Rangers, Rangers did something similar a couple of years ago in Europe. Remember they got to the final of, was it the UEFA Cup? Yeah, against Senate St. Petersburg. And Manchester. they scored about two goals and won, yeah. won both of the matches. <laughs> a few years shows. ago, and I think that was about ten years ago. Actually. Was that about ten years or nine, ago? Nine years ago. I think it was my first year at uni, so, yeah. You are joking. Was, no, yeah. Was that long ago? 2008, I believe. I was going to say 2009, but yeah, it must be definitely that time. Definitely that time. Um, oh my goodness. But yeah, going on, just building on what Nick said, um, it might not sound as glamorous as Dortmund against Bayern, but we've had Dortmund against Bayern in the final three times in the last five years. Right. And quite frankly, I'm bored of it. I'm bored <laughs> of all this faux classica hype that we've got, all this nonsense <laughs> that builds up around it. You know, we haven't had a properly close title battle between those two for quite a long time now. Even last year when, you know, Tickle's first season when... Um, they kind of clung onto the coattails for most of the season. They wouldn't. They never looked properly like overhauling Bayern, and I'm quite happy to not have that kind of nonsense infiltrate the Me final too. this yeah. year. Me too. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing um, a proper kind of underdog mm. in the final against not Bayern, which is important. It, you know, it can be anyone as long as it's not them. Not nothing against Bayern. It's just kind of boring watching them win doubles and trebles. Kind of you know, left right yeah. centre. Um, and yeah, you know, as I was saying, Frankfurt are the uh, the worst team in terms of points total in the the back half of the season. Thirteen points from seventeen games. That is worse than Darmstadt, worse than you know Hamburg and Wolfsburg and whoever else is is in the relegation battle. Um, I think it'll be it's Dortmund's to lose, but I think it'll be an interesting game. And I think Frankfurt will go out there and defend for their lives and try and uh, eke out a result. And I'm Looking forward to that. What's going to be cool about the final, though, is especially the, the sets of fans. Because one thing, <clears throat> Bayern do have real fans, but when it comes to cup finals, a lot of glory supporters come to town. Mm-hmm. And I think Berlin's going to be chock-a-block with fantastic support tomorrow. I mean, if you go to Breitscheidplatz, which is not far from, uh, well, it's in the middle of town, or here, Alexanderplatz, which is where the two teams are going to be, I think the whole atmosphere is going to be different than it has been the last couple of years. Because, I mean, what was it, two years ago was the final Dortmund versus Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg, again, a team with, with very little support. So I think it's going to be a really 
interesting game from a fan's perspective tomorrow. And I would agree with Ollie. I think Frankfurt are going to fight for their lives, but it's Dortmund's game to lose. So Dortmund's game to lose. You're both going for Dortmund wins. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, definitely. Of course, the Pokal is not the only cup final taking place this weekend. We also have the FA Cup as Arsenal take on Chelsea on Saturday evening. Ollie, you'll be watching this one. I take it. I, I will be watching this one, um, possibly from behind the sofa. Um, <laughs> are you optimistic for Arsenal fans? Optimistic would be a strong word, Ian. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it's of a course, cup final. It is, and in a one-off game, anything can happen, of course. And um, you've already beaten Chelsea this season. Have absolutely ripped them apart in in the first half of that game at the Emirates, three 0 Özil and Sanchez were just on fire that day. Um, God, that goal that Özil scored, where he left Kante, Kante, the Player of the Year, for dead, and you know powered on Sanchez, put that ball in, and he bounced it over. Because what was glorious for an Arsenal fan. Uh, <laughs> since then, it, sort of fortunes have rather changed around somewhat. Obviously, Chelsea after that went on this long unbeaten run, um, got themselves into a very solid position at the top of the table that they never looked like giving up, and Arsenal went from one catastrophe to another. But Arsenal have turned things around a bit recently. It's got to be said. Um, seven wins from the last eight games in the league with his three men at the back. With three men at the back, which is is I don't think is quite has been quite as good as the points total of the record mm-hmm. suggests I, I still think Arsenal have had quite a few problems building play um, but it does certainly they've looked more solid um, do you think you'll go for that tomorrow or with with Koscielny out this, yeah this is the problem isn't it because Arsenal players last weekend and, and during the week have been dropping like um Mr. Burns' softball team. Yeah. Simpsons, you know, just like, I'm waiting for Hector Bellerin to get banned from the team because of his sideburns. <laughs> um, and with that, with Koscielny suspended, of course, because of that ludicrous tackle. Um, what was he thinking? Well, yeah. With Gabriel getting that knee injury, Mustafi might be back, but it looks very bad. Apparently he's still, or a few days ago at least, was still sick from the concussion that he suffered mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the Sunderland game. Um, you've got to wonder, is Wenger going to throw in Per Mertesacker for his first start of the season alongside Rob Holding and who Nacho Monreal maybe as a back three I mean that yeah. does not scream solidity and yeah I, I, I think Diego Costa would be licking his lips and Aiden Hazard too but don't you think that <clears throat> Arsenal's best bet against Chelsea is mirroring Chelsea's formation I mean Chelsea's going to be playing through at the back as well it's probably the, the easiest way for Arsenal to actually succeed tomorrow yeah, and I think that's been the way that a couple of other teams have succeeded against Chelsea this season as well, notably Spurs. Um, I, th- I think as well, if you look at the way Arsenal have played over the last couple of months, um, or the last all of this year, basically, uh, the team has looked better with this newer formation than with the old formation. And so to go back to the old formation would seem like a, a very risky move as well. Um, it's just very difficult in terms of personnel because then in front of that midfield, Arsenal don't have a good defensive midfielder. Francis Coquelin might run around a lot and dive into a lot of tackles, but tactically, he's very poor. His distribution is bad as well. Um, so you're going to le- be left with probably Ramsey and Chaka as a central midfield pairing. And th- those two have a lot of qualities. And uh, I've, I've talked about sort of Chaka before on the podcast and said I think he's had a pretty raw deal this season, but they're not particularly good either of them as a defensive midfielder and they're neither of them are, I mean Ramsey's got a great engine on him but he's not the quickest and Chaka as well is not very mobile so Hazard would probably be looking at that and thinking I'm going to run through them all day I went back to look at some of the one football uh, season predictions the other day oh dear 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. I couldn't have got it any more wrong. I put Man United then as champions. Really? Yeah. Huh. I thought Pogba and Zlatan and Mourinho, you know. Well, they won three things, so I don't feel so bad. But uh, I'd put then, I'd put then Shaka. Community shield is a thing now, is it? Mm. Sorry, I, go. Well, it is to Mourinho. It's uh, the Scouse treble. I'd, uh, I'd put then Shaka as the buy of the season. Ooh. Yeah. Not turned out that way, has it? don't know where I was thinking with that. I was obviously off. A bit off. Been talking to day. Lewis a bit too much, maybe. <laughs> anyway, what? Any more talking points from a Chelsea perspective, Nick? I definitely. I mean, I've got my money's on Chelsea tomorrow. I, just because, I mean, if you've won the league, their, their confidence is going to be high, and they know that Arsenal isn't quite up to par at the moment. Uh, sorry, Ollie. No, it's <laughs> but uh, I, find, I mean, especially the season which Chelsea have had. I mean, that, this would just be the icing on the cake. And I was, I was going through. The players which Chelsea bought bought at the beginning of the season because that's interesting actually that you mentioned Man United and the players they bought right or, the play, or having Mourinho and having uh, Zlatan. I was looking at Chelsea's bought bought four players last summer. It was Michi. I always get his last name wrong. Bashuai. 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 I mean, he's barely played, but then you got a couple of important goals. Though. Yeah, exactly. Which is, I mean, that's the most important thing. But Kante, Alonso, and David Luiz. I think they were they were good buys for the club, and they've they've actually worked straight away. Which wasn't the case with the United, but having those three players and 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 um, improving by forty four points on last year's points tally, Chelsea are going to have so much confidence going into that final. I just don't see them. I, I don't see Arsenal. no injury concerns. Exactly. Or anything and, like that. I mean, the only thing they've got to worry about is John Terry, you know, being subbed off in the twenty sixth minute. Mm-hmm. Well, coming on in the twenty sixth minute, twenty eighth minute actually. That John Terry that was himself ridiculous. Off did yeah, we, he cocked it up. Did we, did we want to talk about that, or should we just leave it there? And uh, I, I feel like I might, you know, I might be go up on a slander charge if I okay, start well, talking we'll, about that. So we'll leave it at that then. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think just to go again on what Nick said, um, Chelsea have had a phenomenal season, especially since that game at the Emirates. Um, they go into the, the final in fantastic form as well. Arsenal, I mean, in, in terms of form at the moment, are actually in, in pretty good form, as I said, seven wins out of the last eight Premier League games. But missing out on the Champions League, having a load of injuries at the back end of the season um, and a suspension, obviously, for Koscielny. Um, having a formation that, although it's improved them, they don't look particularly drilled in. Um, probably having Kieran Gibbs at left wing back, who is one of the least dangerous fullbacks I've ever seen um, in an attacking point of view. I, yeah, it's all there for Chelsea, basically. If Arsenal win this, it will be akin to that 2005 FA Cup final where um, they basically ground out a nil-nil against Manchester United somehow and then won it on penalties. But if we, I, I would love to see a repeat, obviously, of the 2002 final. I was at that game the last time. Oh, were you? Arsenal and Chelsea met in the final, yeah. Freddie Lundberg and Ray Parler banging in long ranges to, to win it. But I can't see the same thing happening, unfortunately. Tomorrow. Freddie Lundberg, of course, one of the most beautiful men to ever take to the football pitch. Yeah, and uh, gracing Bundesliga. I saw him last week, because I was in Wolfsburg last week. For, you oh, sorry, saw Freddie Lundberg last so, week? Sorry, no, I wasn't in Wolfsburg, I was in Hamburg. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, Lundberg works for Wolfsburg now. He's assistant he's, coach. He's assistant coach for Andreas Jonkers, assistant mm-hmm. coach, and uh, Hamburg played Wolfsburg. It was a like, final day mm-hmm. uh, relegation thing. And Lundberg walked past me and thought, Cool. Because I grew up with this it, guy. Hasn't he? Well, he D- has. Does he still have the pink hair? No, he's got no hair. I did it the 2002 FA Cup final. Really? Yeah, I had that stripe. I was like, what was I? 13, I think. And yeah, that was the coolest thing in the world to me at the time. Pink hair, Ollie. Anyway. Don't, don't have the stripe today. <laughs> let's, let's wrap up this bit. Mm. Um, quick prediction then. You're going with Chelsea, Nick? 3 1. 3 1? Mm hmm. 
I think it'll be a bit closer than that, but 2 1. <laughs> to Chelsea. To Chelsea. Yeah. Now, League A is done and dusted for this season, so now seems like a good time to talk to our French football correspondent and football whispers, Andrew Gibney. Andrew, given the fall of PSG, the revival of Monaco, and the part that Nice played in the title race, is this the best League A season in quite some time? Yeah, it's been one of the most intriguing, exciting, most enjoyable, probably since what, 2012 when Montpellier won the league because they were. A fantastic team to watch, and that went. There was two, three teams going for the title up until the, the second last week. But the football that Monaco had played, uh, the, the, the the enjoyable sort of collapse of PSG, not collapse, but the the way that they've messed it up. And then Nice have been such fun to watch as well. So although the race didn't go quite to the end, the football to watch has been some of the best we've seen in league on for years. Yeah. And I guess two questions arise from this season. Um, what do PSG do from here, and how are they going to react to this to this setback? PSG's uh, it's been the same story for the last maybe three seasons that they're probably going to have to rebuild. And this is the problem they've had; they've not done it successfully. They don't seem to have a plan of how this team is going to be built, how they want to play, who they want to bring in. Uh, for example, they were linked with, uh, with Riyad Mahrez of Leicester City, uh, but they already have nine players who can all play that sort of wide attacking position. Like, How do you end up with nine players in the same position? People like Hesse, Atim Ben Arthur, all these guys who just didn't play because they've got too many players. They, they, they don't really know what they're doing, and now you've got the likes of Marco Verratti thinking of leaving, someone some like Marquinhos might want to go. They need to have a, a structure in place which looking to get a new sporting director. Hopefully he'll, he'll bring that. And this is why Monaco have had the chance to, to, to catch them because they've got all the money, they've got the ambition, but they don't really quite know how, how to go about it. And they're playing um, Angers this weekend in the Coupe de la France. Is it Coupe de la France? Yes. Yes. Coupe de France. Coupe de France. Um, you'd expect them to, to win that, right? This should do. I mean, Angers are a difficult team to break down. They're quite good defensively, well organised, but on that big pitch, the big occasion, uh, if, it, if it was played at uh, Angers' home, you would give them a chance to sit back and hit on the break, but they're not going to have that, that same opportunity uh, at the Stade de France. So you can't not see Paris winning this one, and it'll be a little, a little celebration on, on what has been a, a, a poor season for them. Uh, on one hand I think not but then on the other hand I said about the sort of stability in the plan I think they really have to give them another season so there's at least some stability at the club because if they keep chopping and changing they're just going to sign more players there's going to be more disruption and they're just going to keep making a mess of this project which should be a lot better than what it is so I think if he does win but it should be enough to keep him there for another season but yeah I mean, if they lose to Angers in the final he'll be a dead man walking Okay well one of the, the teams you mentioned already is of course Monaco it looks like they're going to be broken down piece by piece until there's really nothing left of them See 
I'm I'm on a different side of this. Everyone's like, oh, it's such a shame. They're going. To, everyone's going to go. And I'm like, yeah. But people like Fabinho, uh, Timo Bakayoko, they've been there for three seasons. And in this current climate, that's like an eternity in football these days. This to me seems like the end of end of one part of the project and the start of a new one. They've already signed uh, Yuri Tillemans from Andalet to he'll come in and then someone like Bakayoko or Fabinho go. Uh, I think Mbappe will stay. I really don't see him going at all. Tom Lamar will stay. Uh, I think Bernardo Silva will go. They'll end up making about 150 million euros of of selling two or three players, and then they won't have to sell anyone else. And I can see them being just as strong next summer uh, because they've got they've got a project in place. They know what they're trying to do. They know the kind of players they want to buy. They get them in before they even sell. They've got a Brazilian called Gabriel Boschila who got injured during the season, he looked really good in patches. To get these players in a year before, they have to sell the player that they're going to replace. So they're in the club, they know the system, they know what's needed of them, and then they step up. So this is where you see the difference between them and PSG. They know what they're doing, and I, and I think they'll absolutely fine. They might not make a Champions League semi-final for a while, but they're going to beat the top end of the league into the next four or five years, I think. Oh, it's interesting that you think Mbappe will stay. What makes you think that? Is it that he doesn't want to go or that the asking price is too much? Well, I mean, I think the asking price for someone who's had... He's already been scoring goals since after January. It's, like, it's not a, a long sort of spell to really judge him how good he really is. He looks phenomenal. Let's not get past that. But I think the asking price, I think he seems a very switched-on kid. He knows that he's going to play pretty much every week next season. Which you, you look at someone like Anthony Martial, you look even at Marcus Rashford at United having sort of difficult second seasons. There's no pressure now on him at Monaco. He's allowed to play football and do his thing. He thinks it's the best place for him. Monaco always want to keep him. I just, I just really don't see him going. And next summer, I think it would be too much to get him to stay any longer than that. But I think that'll be the best thing for everyone. Of course, one of the more interesting clubs uh, in France right now is Lille, who've just unveiled Marcelo Bielsa as their uh, new coach. Uh, maybe you could give our listeners some background to the club and let us know how you see this working out. Yeah, uh, I've got a personal interest. This is this is my team. Uh, I've, I had a season ticket before. I've lived in the city. I was there at the weekend, actually. They are they were an interesting club. They they got back to to league on around two thousand. They were kind of up and down. Uh, they've had stars like people like Eden Hazard, Dimitri Payet, Johan Kabay, really good sort of system of bringing through players, selling them on. And it, it got a little bit too much. They were selling players every summer just to break even, and it got to the point where the same quality wasn't there. They've struggled, and now they've got a new owner who used to own the Lotus Formula One team. Uh, they've got Luis Campos as the sporting director, who's the man who started the sort of current Monaco project. And they've got Mark Engler, who was part of Tixi Berestein's uh, team at Barcelona. It's got them the way they are. So with Bielsa in place, it sounds like a, like a dream team. Uh, and their, their plan is, I think they're looking to bring in 10 players during the summer. They signed six players on transfer deadline day in January, none of which have really worked out, apart from there's a Portuguese midfielder who's done fairly well called Sheka. They're looking to get top five next season, then they're looking to top three and then sort of Champions League. And it's exciting, but it's also nervous because you look at the way that, that Marcel Bielsa left 
Athletic Bilbao in a bit of a mess, sort of saved by Ernesto Valverde. He left Marseille in a bit of a mess as well, where they're just starting to get back to where they need to be. So there's a lot of excitement because it can't get any worse because the football's been pretty dire uh, this season. But I think the fans have to be a little bit cautious of what the team's going to become, the amount of players that are going to come in. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a very interesting summer. And definitely, uh, I think we're the, we're the new hipster team already. As soon as Bielsa comes in, that's you. You're the hipster club of choice. So there's a lot of seats to fill at that stadium holds uh, 50,000. So let's hope we can do it. Well, I was going to ask. I was going to ask you about the uh, the women's Champions League final because I mean, there's two French yeah. teams in the final, right? You have got Lyon and Paris Saint Germain. But as far as I understand it, Lyon have sacked their coach. Now that that's going to be set about a turmoil before before a big game, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the set was the announced a new one already. Uh, one of Peros has come in. Uh, yeah, it's not. It's not ideal preparations. I imagine if FUV or Real Madrid sacked their coach uh, this week before the men's final, it would be chaos. But Leon are a pretty settled team in terms of the stars, like Alex Morgan, uh, Aga Hegerberg, who's a fantastic striker in Norwegian, Jennifer Marajan, the German playmaker. They've got enough talent that they can do their, their talking on the pitch. And the games between PSG and Leon are usually very, very exciting affairs, uh, usually lots of goals. And Leon have had a pick of the results over the last few years. And... They, Leon have got this reputation, a bit like the, the French women's team. Of, they always have all the possession, they always create a lot of chances, but don't always find the net in the big games. They'll beat the smaller French teams by like 10, 12 goals. When it comes to the big, big games, they can struggle a little bit. So it's going to be a very interesting final. Leon, obviously the favourites. I'm a bit mixed because I've got the French interest, but I live in Manchester, so it's a little bit sad that Man City uh, didn't reach the final. But yeah, you have to put money on Leon to, to lift, uh, to sort of retain the crown they won last year. They, they with, with some of the Alex, Alex Morgan up front, they could be on a bit of a dynasty, uh, regardless of who's in charge. That was Andrew Gibney, our French football correspondent. And that's all we have time for today. But don't worry, we will be back next week for the Champions League final, the big one. Uh, my thanks to Ollie, Nick, Andrew and our producer Damien remember wherever you are in the world please go to your local iTunes store please give us a rating and please leave us a comment to let us know what you think of the podcast thanks for that and thanks for listening